Good morning, I'm Joel. Um, I know most of you, some of you I don't know. It's good to meet you. Um, I'm a pastor from down in San Diego who comes up periodically to, to be with you guys. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, today we're going to take a look at the Psalms. We're kind of taking a little bit of a trek through the Psalter. Um, and we're going to continue to do that for the next couple of weeks as we look at how like the Psalms give shape to our, to our thoughts and our prayers. Um, they give uh, us words to speak when we can't find words to say to God. Um, when we don't know how to express ourselves, like God actually gives us uh, a way to talk to Him, um, a way that He has sanctified, a way that He has set apart. And sometimes those words are ugly. Sometimes those words are hard. Sometimes those words uh, make us feel uncomfortable to say those things to God. Um, and yet God says, here's your prayer book. Like, go for it. Um, speak this way to me. Uh, so today we're going to look at Psalm 4. Um, so uh, this is printed in your bulletins. Uh, I'm going to read it for us and then, uh, and then we'll look at the passage. Uh, psalm chapter 4. Uh, this is a psalm of David uh, to the choir master. Uh, it's, a, it's for the stringed instruments. Uh, listen as I read. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices, put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face on us, O Lord. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone. O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Thus far the reading of God's word. Uh, last week we looked at Psalm chapter 3, uh, which was uh, in reality a, a morning psalm. I don't think I actually told you guys that, but it's a morning psalm. It's a psalm. For when you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh dang, my day's going to like overrun me. Um, it's full of worries, it's full of fears, it's full of difficulties. Uh, Psalm 3 actually gives voice to that, right? How many are my foes? They're all around me. Difficulty is surrounding me. It's pressing in. Today we're going to look at Psalm 4. And this is the thing that I love. I just love about the Psalter. Sorry, I'm going to move forward so I can see better. I keep having to like do this number to see people around the pole. Um, this is what I love about uh, the Psalter. This is why, like for me, the Psalms, like I'm in them every day. Because much of the day, I just don't even know what to say when I'm praying to God. And God gives us this Psalm as an evening Psalm. Um... It's amazing how he does that. I don't know if you've ever kind of gotten to the end of your day and you look back and you're just like, oh my gosh, like this day was just a total mess. Like it was a disaster. 
Uh, you you look at your task list, and your task list accuses you of not being productive. Um, you look at your at your list of failures, and your list of failures accuses you of not being the person who you want to be. You look at your family, and you're like, I left them. I didn't do what I should be. You look at your friends, and you're like, I wasn't the friend I should be. And, like, accusations just press in around you in the evening. I wonder if you've ever experienced that, laying awake in bed, unable to sleep, because you're not who you want to be. Even worse than that, uh, at times, people come along and they just heap shame on you. Um, Sometimes they even do it falsely. They accuse you of things that you're not really responsible for. They accuse you for the emotions that you feel when you're being accused for doing something you're not responsible for, right? They gaslight you. They're just they're just on you and they don't let up. You lay in bed and you're like, "Really?" <laughs> Like, this is the blessed life? This is, this is like, being planted by a, by a still stream producing fruit in season, as Psalm 1 says? This is it? Uh, I'm a guy who has to take a lot of, a lot of uh, like, sleeping medication to be able to sleep because my brain just churns and churns and churns at night. Many nights I just lay in bed staring at the ceiling thinking to myself, like, did I do it today? Was I good enough? David here affirms that he can lay down and sleep. Man, that sounds nice. Um, He can lay down and sleep. He can find rest in his weakest of spots, in his weakest of times. You see, in the morning he said that God is a shield around him, his glory and the lifter of his head. And in the evening, David said, God vindicates me. What God says about me actually allows me to rest in my soul. You see, the psalmist doesn't tell us exactly what's going on. This is unlike the last psalm where we had like the reality that Absalom is, is like chasing David and is going to kill him like his own son's trying to kill him the psalmist doesn't tell us anything about that here but we can pick up a couple of clues as to what's going on and yet we all can identify with sleepless nights every one of us can so today we're going to look at God our vindicator the one who's given us relief so first point, God is our vindicator. Verse 1, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Uh, David's in distress. Here we are again, right? Um, and this is a really odd start to the psalm. Uh, I mean, look look, look down at it. It's just strange. Like, exclamation point. Answer me when I call. Uh, I don't know, like, my kids have cell phones, right? 
And I call and I call and I call and I call and they keep sending me to voicemail, which they don't have a voicemail box set up. So it's like, this person doesn't have a voicemail box set. I call again. and Sometimes it feels like that's the way it is when we talk to God. David here, answer me when I call. He starts off with this command to God. This is actually an imperative verb. He commands God, God, listen, I need you now. Wicked men are surrounding him. They're accusing him. It's a simple cry, a powerful cry. Answer me. I need to know that you're there. David knows who he's calling to. He's calling to the God of his righteousness, or better yet, um, the God of his right. Um, David cries out to the one whose opinion truly matters. He hears all the voices coming from outside. He hears the voices inside of him. And he says, God, answer me. You are the God. You're the God who is my righteousness. You're the God who speaks a better word about me. You're the God who is my right. You're the one who is here with me. He's the God who's made him righteous. You see, David had plenty of sin in his past, right? Um, like by the end of his life, we know David was known as a man of blood. Um, he was a man of the sword. Uh, David was a man who famously committed adultery and then had the woman's husband murdered like uh and by the way that wasn't like your kind of adultery where both people were attracted to each other like this was the king telling a woman to come and commit adultery with him this is a different sort of power dynamic this is david the king the forerunner of the messiah the man after god's own heart he has all these voices. And then he looks at the fallout and he's like, oh my goodness, Like, I even lost a kid over this. All these voices pressing in. David's appealing to the character of God. Um, you see, God's not the God who doesn't defend his people. God's not uncaring while his people are maligned. God, David appeals to the God of his righteousness. David's putting his trust in God and he's anticipating that God, that Yahweh, that the covenant-keeping God will be his advocate and his protector. How can he do this? Well, he remembers the past actions of God. He remembers how God has delivered him in the past. There's no presumption, right? This isn't him saying, God, you owe me. Now answer me. This is a settled trust that the God who has been there in the past will be the God who is there now. He's the God of his covenant. The God who continues to love. You see, God has delivered him in the past, and David has confidence that he will do it again. This is what the line, uh, you have given me, uh, you've given me 
uh, in my constraint, you've given me room, you've given me space, um, you've given me relief when I was in distress. Um, the picture David's using here is like, it's like his, it's like his, uh, like his enemies, these voices, these accusers are pressing into the point where he's just feeling trapped. And then it's like God moves in and gives him space. Gives him room to breathe. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced a, a panic attack, but panic attacks are like exactly this, right? You feel trapped. You feel like the voices in your head won't stop. You feel like your world is crushing you. And then God moves in and he gives you space to just be able to catch your breath. You've given me space. In my constraint, you've given me room. David was hemmed in. He was pressed in, and yet God provided him with the relief. So with confidence, David cries out, Be gracious to me and hear my cries. Hear my prayers. Answer me. David then moves to this admonishment towards the people who are accusing him in verses 2 through 5. This is the second part of our sermon. Um, he says, Men, how long shall you shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. There's three things that are going on here. First, there's these accusers, these men who are just like saying lie after lie after lie. Um, they're accusing him. And David turns to them. And he says like, Stop. Like, this is not okay. Like, how long are you going to give yourself over to lies? Um, this is not this is not normal. This is not okay. And this is just so striking because, again, it's just set right against, like, the culmination of David as the king in the second psalm. Like, here you have the king, and then all of a sudden it's like all these people are just lying about him, accusing him. But I think the thing that's difficult about is this is that David knows that his that some of these accusations are true. Like there's a bit of a bite to them. Because David deserves to be accused. You see these accusations, the second thing we're going to look at, these accusations become clear. They're, they're attacking the honor of David, the king, the man after God's own heart, and they're trying to turn that honor into shame. They love vain words. They seek after lies. They're false. And yet they weigh heavily on David. Why? Well, if what people believe, if, if the people believe these false lies, then his life could be ruined, right? Uh, his, 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 he could be just completely discredited as the king. Or even worse... 
that can cause David to doubt. Is this actually true? Like, is God actually the God of my salvation? Am I just a farce? Is this just a big sham? I wonder if you ever feel that way. Do you ever hear what someone says of you and then you think it's true? Am I really that way? Third thing is the answer. Notice the answer. David tells these false accusers to know, to understand, to remember. You see, it's God who set David apart for himself. It's God who commissioned him as king. It's God who's made him righteous. And this is proven by the fact that it's God who hears David's prayers. God hears and answers. This term, this, this idea of being set apart... This is a big part um, in the. This is a vital like idea in the Old Testament. Um, it's applied to covenant Israel. Like God, when God sets them apart, means that He's choosing them. He's choosing to love them, not because they're particularly lovable, <laughs> but because He's choosing to set them apart. Then we have this admonition. Be angry, don't sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your own beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. He tells them, sure, be angry, but don't sin. Like, um, have righteous indignation over things that you should be righteously unhappy about. But don't sin. Ponder in your beds. Keep it within yourself. Ponder this in your mind. Be silent. In many ways, this is like the most secret place that he's instructing them to go. When you're on your bed, when it's just you and God, think about the way you're acting. Think about who you are. Think about what's going on here. If there's things that need to be corrected, then bring them. But if not, keep it to yourself. Don't sin. Don't lie about it. Instead of acting out of their evil intentions, he tells them to go and to lie down. <laughs> How great is that? Just, just go take a nap. Um, go sleep. Think about what you're doing. Worship God rightly. Trust in the Lord. Because he's the one who will judge justly. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. Third point. God is faithful. In verse 6, this great question is posed by David. Puts him in the place of the many. Uh, this great crowd of the faithful as they, as they ask this beautiful question. There's so many who say, who will show us some good? <laughs> um, a great question. Like in a world full of people lying about you, who's gonna like who will show me some good? Who's gonna do good? Who's gonna do right? And then the next phrase, 
should ring like a bell in your ear. Look down. Verse 6. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. What does that sound like to you? Um, well, I think to me, and most of the commentators agree to the people of Israel, this is like a, like a pure reference, a real clean, beautiful, clear reference to the ironic blessing, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Like David saying, who's going to show us good? It's the God who's already spoken this good word over his people who he's set apart for himself. You see, this ironic blessing would for the Israelite and for David speak of comfort and of safety. He would speak a better word in his heart than the words of those who would accuse and condemn him, even if that was himself. God is faithful. So then we have this great term, right? <clears throat> Verse 7. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It's this great, this great idea of dwelling in joy and in safety. Uh, that's one of the hardest things when you lay down at night, right? And like your world's kind of crashing in. How do I have joy? How do I feel like I'm safe? What do I say? How do I do this? Uh, I love this, uh, this idea of dwelling in joy. Well, the situation still hasn't resolved for David. I mean, these people are still coming after him. His own heart's still accusing him. He's able to dwell in joy, able to affirm in confidence that God has answered and been gracious, that he's heard his requests as he made them in verse 1, and he affirms this in verse 7. Um, while reflecting on the blessing of God, right? Um, he shows this difference between outward happiness and inward joy. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Uh, inward joy is like characterized by this uh, this steady flow of being poured being poured out by God. Um, it's this always increasing knowledge. Um, it's this, uh, this, this ever-increasing trust in the reality that, like, that God is for you. I mean, it's like solid ground to stand on. You see, joy is way different than happiness, right? Happiness is fleeting. Um, the Padres beat the Dodgers. I'm happy. The Padres lose to the Dodgers. I freak out. Um, you can ask my wife. Uh, I'm sad for about three days. Um... Happiness comes and goes. So funny how we set our hearts on things that make us happy and not our hearts on things that bring us lasting joy. Uh, I love cars. Like, cars are one of my favorite things in the world and especially love trucks. So I finally got a truck that I've always wanted. I'm a San Diego boy. Every San Diego boy dreams of having a double cab Tacoma. Like, that's just our dream. Um, 
you drive through San Diego, they're everywhere, right? Um, I set my heart on it. I got my Tacoma. Tacoma made me happy. Like, my taco made me happy. There's no doubt about it. I like it. I walk out. I smile. It's still my truck. But when I'm in the middle of a panic attack, my taco is just my taco. It's just my truck. It's not going to do anything for me. Um, my house. I love my house. It's a great house. If I put my happiness there, when my house goes away, what happens to my happiness? My relationships. My relationships. I, I love my friends. I love my wife. But they can't, they can't carry the weight of inward joy. David turns to the one who can provide him with inward joy in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his strife. You see, the things that bring you happiness, those probably are good things, right? It's good to lose 10 pounds. You smile, you're happy. But that's fleeting. It's like Ecclesiastes says, it's vanity. It's like trying to grab onto the wind. One author says, David prays for an inward joy which would be greater than those outward manifestations of joy which are characterized in his society. The joy of rejoicing which stemmed from a successful harvest of, of grain or of corn or, and, and grapes for new wine. The greatest joy for which he prayed was not that of a harvest home, but an awareness of the light of God's countenance. Living in that joy allows David to begin to dwell in safety. He puts his trust in the Lord. He lays down and he sleeps knowing that it's God who will keep him. God's answered his cry. David says, answer me, O Lord. In my distress, be here. And God's answered him by providing him not relief from his circumstances, but safety and joy, knowing that God is his vindicator. See, this is just it. How do we respond to a psalm like this? How do we live in joy and in safety? Well, dear friends, it's because God is your vindicator. God is your right. He is your righteousness. And he is, he is that through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, if it was up to you and me, like, we would fail. It, but it's not. Like, living in God's righteousness, it's not up to you and me. God has already done that for us through Jesus. Every night, you and I lay there and we toss and turn, will my job be there tomorrow? Will my family be there tomorrow? Will my fill-in-the-blank be there tomorrow? We can know that there is one thing that holds fast through all of the ups and downs of life, and that is the reality that because Christ did it all for you and then paid for it all for you, you now live 
in the loving, kind gaze of your Father. You see, friends, when you're in the middle of a dark night, when you're in the middle of difficulties, when there's false accusations coming in all around you, you can entrust yourself to the one who judges justly, knowing that everything you deserve has been given to you because of Christ. Everything you don't deserve has been given to you because of Christ. And everything you deserve has been taken away by Christ. So, where are you today? Are you one who can find that lasting joy? Or do you struggle with it looking at your circumstances? The affirmations of those around you to feel good about yourself and your life. Uh, if you're here and you still struggle to find uh, what makes you uh, right with God uh, in your own works, you still do that, then see, that's just a hopeless cause. Uh, give it up. It's not worth chasing after. Um, instead, throw yourself on Christ. Uh, instead of trying to defend yourself or numb the pain um, with short-lived pleasures come to Christ and know what true inward joy is if you're here today and you're a believer in Christ and people come around and they accuse you you accuse yourself you can recognize whose voice that is that voice is the accuser of the brethren you can live knowing that there is a better voice who has spoken a truer word about you and over you May God make us into a church that turns to Him in the midst of our times of distress, knowing that He has vindicated us and He will vindicate us in the future. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to You with gratefulness in our hearts, uh, knowing that You are the one who's given us relief. Uh, you're the one who has... Uh, filled us in such a way that we um, yeah, that we can lean into you, that you speak a better word over us than all the voices that condemn us. So God, help us to trust in that. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Uh, if you would stand, we'll sing a song of response.